0: brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. So our topic for today's episode is how to discern what is good and right, and how to avoid becoming a complete cynic. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of live in a cynical culture today where cynicism is kind of the currency of the culture, and it's easy to get sucked into it. Um, it's like it has its own gravitational pull. So how... Uh, We're living right now in the backwash of a long and ugly political campaign, and in the midst of that, it's been difficult at times to discern what is true and what isn't true. And how do you live in the truth without being corrupted by the prevalent cynicism of our culture, and without being led astray by truthy-sounding things that aren't really true? So how do we learn to be a discerning... Person, just as Jesus was the ultimate example of a discerning person. So, if you're a new listener, my name is Rick. I'm a author of the Jesus Centered Life and uh, editor of the Jesus Centered Bible. And I'm here with my co-host and friend Becky. Hello. So, uh, we're pivoting around this whole issue of not just the election that we're in, but kind of what the election has surfaced in our culture. And I think it's fair to say that most of us are in a place of tension and discomfort, and maybe if you want to go to the far end of the continuum, even disgust about uh, what has been surfaced during this season of time for us. And it really has leveraged our ability to discern truth or not. Um, I think that, for me, has been a major issue as I listen to the voices all around me. Um, There's no time like the time leading up to an election. Where you're assaulted by mes- messages of truth that you have to discern your way through. So uh, one thing that's unequivocally true about us as people, because Jesus said it was true about us as people, is that we are sheep. Sheep was the favorite metaphor Jesus used for describing what we are like, and so I think it's important to understand what a sheep is really like. If we're going to uh, lean into how Jesus described us, we should understand what sheep are really like. So in the, my book, The Jesus-Centered Life, I have a, actually a whole chapter called Living a Sheep's Life, and I did some exploration into what sheep are like for that chapter, and man, was it, <laughs> was it bracing. So Here's a few of the things that I discovered about sheep. It's always important to drill down into Jesus' metaphors and parables because he chooses perfect metaphors for us. That means we can drill and drill and drill and never reach the end of his metaphor. So if we are indeed sheep, the way he describes us, that means we are timid, fearful, and easily panicked. We are slow-witted and gullible. We are vulnerable to fear, frustration, pests, and hunger. We're easily prodded into a stampede. We are quick to descend into a mob mentality. That means that we're without natural means of self-defense and we're easily killed by our many natural predators if we're left unprotected. We're jealous and competitive for dominance. I could keep going. Um, It's a long list uh, that basically adds up to, in the end, they're the uh, least likable domesticated animal on the face of the earth for a variety of reasons. And one of their central characteristics They were bred to be led. That's why Jesus said, um, the sheep need a shepherd, and I am a good shepherd. There are good shepherds and bad shepherds. I'm a good shepherd, because I love my sheep, and I love them so much, I will lay down my life for my sheep. So we can't get away from the truth that it is in our nature to be led. And as much as we'd like to think, nobody's going to lead me, I'm the leader of me, Jesus is saying, no, inbred in you, is this natural inclination to be led. So then that it follows that what's most important for us to pay attention to is, who are we being led by? Um, what kinds of truth are we being led by, and is that truth really the truth, because we are naturally led to be led? So, Becky, you went to an event uh, just the other night that kind of surfaced some of this for you as well. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, it's so true what you're talking about, Rick, that just we're, we're meant to be led. And I think right now, as we're coming into the presidential um, election of 2016, we're asking ourselves who's going to lead us and what choice am I going to make and who leads us. And this event was such a good reminder of who's actually, who we're actually supposed to turn our attention to, to lead us. So the, the name of the event was called Revive Us. Um, It's put on by Kirk Cameron Um, they had, they're having an encore presentation actually in theaters across the country on Monday. So if you wanted to take advantage of going to this event, you actually could do that. Um, you can buy tickets, um, fathom events is the one that's putting it on. Um, so, um, what really, really struck me and I, I, I went to the event, I didn't really know what to expect. I watched the trailer and they called it a family meeting. So Christians getting together across the nation to talk about what's going on in America, um, I had no idea if there was going to be like a political agenda and I'm happy to report there wasn't, there was no mention of any candidates names or any party names. That wasn't what this is about. Um, what this was about is just coming back together and talking about what's happening in America um, w- and, and what, what is the, really the problem. So Dr. Ben Carson, um, he, he's a brain surgeon and he um, was asked to kind of diagnose America, and he said um, that America is in critical condition. We have a disease, but it is curable, um, and that cure is and always has been in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, um, where where it says, "Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land." Um, you know, here we are, (laughs) this is, this is many, many years (laughs) later and here we are again. Um, and I just loved how, how, um, pointed that verse was and how it felt like, yes, that's, that's what we need to do. Um, Francis Chan was also, um, one of the speakers. He had a lot of really good things to say, but one of them, um, and I don't think I'm quoting him directly, but this is what he was saying is we don't have a presidential candidate or a cultural problem. We have a heart problem in our culture and in our church. Um, we have lost our first love. Um, and then Kurt Cameron, he says this in the trailer, so you can actually watch this in the trailer, but he emphasized this throughout the entire event. He says, when our family gets together and we pray to God um, and get ourselves right with the Lord, the heavens open up and miracles start happening. And, and so the whole event really was designed around... Um, Who's leading us? <laughs> Where is our hope? Um, and our our leadership is actually in Jesus, and our hope is actually in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and it was such a great reminder, and also just to be around all these people who I didn't know, who were who were just like, "Yes, this is we want to do this together," um, and and we are the family. We're the body of Christ.
0: It's kind of uh, you know the more I think about this and listening to your story, it's really sobering for us to embrace this truth that we are sheep who tend to be led, and if we're not awake and alert to who is leading us or what is leading us, we can easily be led into danger and destruction and all manner of problem, uh, just because we're not paying attention to our shepherd. Really, everything in our life depends on paying attention to the shepherd, because uh, if we're paying attention to other voices, then who knows where they're going to lead us? Or if we're only paying attention to our own inclinations and reactions, who knows where that will lead us? What Jesus is trying to do is emphasize exactly what you just described. Hey, remember who's leading you. Don't be misconstrued that all of these decisions that you're making are going to mean the difference, the huge difference in your life. Yes, of course, Um, who our leaders are make a difference in our culture make a difference in the direction that we go. But do we really think that Jesus is overshadowed and ultimately hampered by the messy decisions that we make? Um, Of course they're not! (laughs) Of course he works within every culture and with every environment that happens. He's always at work. He's an artist who works with the raw material that he's given. So it's, but it's easy to forget that, as sheep. It's easy to, for us to be just led by whatever the strongest voice happens to be in our life, whether it's our own or somebody else's. So uh, part of this uh, response to becoming a more discerning person in this culture is becoming a more awake person in this culture, awake and alive and engaged with the forces and the voices around us so one of my favorite ways to think about that in my own life is something mm-hmm. called the, the, the Stockdale Paradox. It comes from this book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. Um, it's kind of a central aspect of that best-selling business book in that Jim Collins met uh, former Vice Admiral Jim Stockdale at a social gathering and uh, wanted to learn his story. Jim Stockdale was the highest-ranking uh, um air force officer imprisoned during the Vietnam War he has, his jet was shot down over enemy territory he parachuted to safety but then once he landed the villagers where he landed beat him to almost almost to death he was horribly injured by that beating they dragged him to the Hanoi Hilton where he was imprisoned for 8 years during that time he was tortured repeatedly and ultimately uh, confined to a uh, 3 foot wide by 10-foot-long cell that had a bare light bulb hanging from it that was on 24 hours a day. When he was finally uh, released from the Hanoi Hilton and survived that experience, he couldn't walk for a couple of months. He, he had a very difficult time just straightening his body to walk. Um, but he went on to be a vice presidential candidate for Ross Perot in the, the what turned out to be the most uh, successful independent presidential candidate candidacy ever. And and past that, he went on to be a very high-functioning contributor to society in lots of ways. It was as if this horrific eight-year experience did not destroy him, which is what you would expect it to. And so Jim Collins meets Jim Stockdale at a social gathering and wants to know, hey, how did you survive that incredible experience and go on to live a a healthy, productive life? And Stockdale, what Stockdale's response to him became— was uh, what Jim Collins later called the Stockdale paradox. And it goes like this Embrace your brutal reality without ever giving up on your prevailing hope. It's a tension between these two things. Embracing the brutal reality in front of you is super important. You can't, uh, one of the things St- Stockdale said was the people who died first in the Hanoi Hilton were the optimists, people who had just an optimistic view of when they'd be released. They were unwilling to face their brutal reality, therefore their hearts were broken over and over again. So Stockdale said, I had to face the brutal realities of, what I, of the situation I was in, but I refused to give up on the prevailing hope that this experience would one day become the defining, uh, uh, ex, uh, molding, and transforming experience of my life that was used for good. And he said, and that's what happened. So the Stockdale Paradox is embracing the brutal reality without letting go of your prevailing hope. It's a, it's a uh, dichotomy that, that we can live in that Jesus certainly lived in. So um, how do we face the brutal realities of our current culture and the voices at work in our culture that are trying to lead us, um, and then hang on to our hope? How do we remind ourselves of hope in the midst of that? We have to do both of those things. So I thought we could take a look at um, Matthew chapter five, where Jesus does something that I've called in in my book the Jesus pushback. He's he's trying to help his disciples learn a way of living that is awake and discerning within their culture, a way of living that kind of talks back to accepted truths or truisms or or things that we accept as this is the way things um, are done, or this is the way things go, Jesus is trying to teach them to examine these things and engage them and question whether they really are true. So let's give a few examples here, and then we'll move on to some real-life examples of this. So um, Jesus said, now listen listen to this construction. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder, if you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say... If you're even angry with somebody, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell.
1: Stay away from social media.
0: (laughs) But do you hear the embedded uh, rhythm in this? You have heard it said, Mm -hmm. but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. He goes on to do this several times. Let me give you one more. You have heard the, 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 it said that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, In that way you'll be acting as true children of the, your Father in heaven. So um, he's speaking very specifically about beliefs that are commonly held within the religious culture, for sure, but in the culture at large, and he's saying, you've heard these things said that, are, that seem to be true, But I say the real truth, the kingdom of God truth, is this. So it's not just paying attention to the specifics of what he's going after here, it's the fact that he's trying to teach them a way of living that has embedded in them, you have heard it said, but I say. So that has two parts to it. First is paying attention to what we're hearing said that is true. The second part of it is paying attention to what Jesus says and contrasting those two in trying to live into the way Jesus thinks, rather than the way we are commonly led in our culture. So let's talk about some real-life ways that surface for you and I, Becky, where this comes into play. So what what pops into your head, um, this this rhythm of um, you have heard it said, but I say? how's that popped up in your life?
1: Well, I think we, we talked about one of those examples is, you know, I they say um, that you're forgiven, so you should just forget everything that that person ever did to you. And that's really not the intention of forgiveness. But There's, it
0: sounds right. Yeah. Well, for, at first first blush, it sounds right. Yeah.
1: So somebody does really something really bad to you, or maybe repeatedly does something bad to you, and you are to forgive them, right? But forgiveness is really for yourself, right? So you forgive that person um, be, so that you can be right with God. And, um, and not because you're going to forget and continue to be in a pattern of letting someone hurt you, right? Yeah. So that's one misconception that I think happens a lot in the Church, is we, we, we use forgiveness as a way to get away with hurting people.
0: So to put it in our construction, you have heard it said that forgiveness really means forgetting all about whatever happened. Mm-hmm. But I say, what?
1: But I say that... Your forgiveness means that you have to go above and beyond to heal that relationship.
0: Yeah. So do, do you see the kind of the the um, construction project that's happening here, the digging that's happening here? First, we're paying attention to what we're hearing, we're, at, we're pushing back against it, saying, is that really true? And then we're camping there. Like, mm-hmm. before we've talked about wallowing in mud puddles, which are stories about Jesus that don't immediately make sense, or... Contrast with what the way we typically think of him. Um, this is another form of wallowing. We we first pay attention to the voices and truths we're hearing, and then we wallow in Jesus to try to understand what is true, and why am I at, at unrest about hearing this? What's wrong with this? What's the truth? You know, there's some low-hanging fruit in our culture. You would think that in a supposedly Christian culture, that the majority of people would not answer when they're asked what how does a person get to heaven the majority of people in this christian culture would not answer some form of you have to be a good enough person to go to heaven well being a good person as an as a prerequisite for going to heaven is absolutely theologically incorrect and most of us would admit that that's true but we betray our commonly held belief when we say well that person was such a good person, why did that bad thing happen to them? Do you see that subtle thing that creeps in there? We say, we know theologically that getting to heaven is not about our goodness, but we actually pragmatically think in in exactly the opposite terms. If you're a good enough person, then bad things shouldn't happen to you. If you're a good enough person, you're probably going to heaven. That's what we functionally believe. So if... If if that's not the case, um, then what is the case? That's where we wallow, or well, what is the truth? Um, the other night, uh, in the small group that we have at our house, uh, a small group of about a dozen or so teenagers, we were walking through the Beatitudes, and I was asking kids to go one by one by the Beatitudes and think about um, if Jesus is saying, blessed are they who... So this, this is a truth about the kingdom of God. How does that contrast with what they typically experience in their school culture? Mm-hmm. Is there a contrast between the two? And so one of them was, um, blessed are they who mourn. Mm-hmm. And so I asked the students, is that truly in your school culture a blessing if you mourn, if you show your grief and anguish and hurt and pain?
1: Not in high school. <laughs>
0: no, uh, they said exactly the opposite, it's scorched earth. Yeah. If you show your vulnerability, then you're risking getting hammered, either on social media or face-to-face or any other way. The culture there is not conducive to showing your real grief and your real feelings, so blessed are those who mourn. So what would it look like to bring the kingdom of God into your school, where it is modeled that it's a good thing to show your grief?
1: And not only that, but if someone was grieving, that you mourned with them too.
0: Sure. So, the you know, you, you could go down the list of those Beatitudes, um, you, you could say, in that case, uh, the kingdom of man's culture uh, says, never let him see you cry. Um, that is, you have heard it said, never let him see you cry. But I say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, you could go down the list of Beatitudes this way and contrast what Jesus is saying, so the Beatitudes is an interesting way to start understanding um, what is truth and what isn't, because Jesus is mainlining the truth in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5. He's saying, here's what's really true, no matter what you've heard said in your, in your own human kingdom. So any other examples for you, Becky, that crop up that fit this kind of uh, awakening, like w- where you have re- recognized that you're uncomfortable with something, you don't know why, but you're awake enough to say, hmm, I'm going to push back against that. What is the truth? Anything else pop into your head?
1: I think right now the, the thing that I'm seeing the most is just on social media, the way that we are dealing with our opposition um, with the election. It just, mm. it really, um, you know, I think that because we are seeing these candidates almost as like we're electing the next god. Like, mm. not that we're electing human leaders who are flawed and imperfect, just like we are. You know, like, almost like, yeah, what if you had to stand up and run for president? <laughs> um, but we're putting them on the, in this place where we're almost making them, like, we're, ex- we're, we're electing the next Jesus, so he has to be, you know, morally perfect.
0: So, so to put it in this construction, you could say, you've heard that it's said that the next president of the United States is going to determine your future and your quality of life, and, 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 but I say, I supersede any human ruler, and I can work with whatever messy raw material you people give to me.
1: That's the exact tension that I feel. I feel like, you know what, they're both flawed, we have to make a decision. This is just the way it is. It's like a toddler. Like when, when you're like, do you want apple juice or milk? And they're like, I want soda. You're like, you don't get to have soda. You get apple juice or milk. Those are the choices. So
0: what this exposes as well, I think, is, and uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to myself right now too. Mm-hmm. What it exposes is, um, again, our sheepiness, mm-hmm. how easily we are led into believing that our futures depend on human rulers. In, in the, it's not that it's not important that you're smart and you think through your choices. Of course you do. But to go one step beyond that is so sheepy. It's going to the step that says, well, my future is determined by whoever comes into office. That's why I'm thinking of moving to Canada. That's just a, that, that's just a proxy for us saying, I will be hopeless if so-and-so is elected. Really? you'll be hopeless? Now this isn't a should, this is just a diagnosis. It's starting to say, look at ourselves and say, oh, I see my sheepiness coming out here, that I'm being easily led into thinking that my whole future... I know somebody who's told me repeatedly that um, if if one thing or another happens through this election, well, that's probably a signal of the apocalypse. The apocalypse is upon us. (laughs) And I'm like, well, Jesus was clear and said, well, you're not going to know when that comes so we're kind of out and out saying I don't believe that Jesus I, I think I can I can predict it and I my response is always people have been saying the apocalypse is coming been coming for 2000 years and we've gotten it wrong every time the truth is it doesn't matter he's not asking us to pay attention to when the apocalypse is coming he is saying pay attention there are signs that are coming when that's going to happen but what's <laughs> funny about Jesus is the signs that he gives us gives us are pretty much true of every age.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so
0: he's trying to say, be alert in general. All the time. Yeah. So to be alert means to be alert to the messages and the ways in which we are we sheep are being led, to stop and say, oh, I can't forget, I'm a sheep. Where am I being led right now, and who am I being led by, and how can I turn the corner and instead... Be a discerning person in this tense culture, and be led by Jesus. When you're led by Jesus, there's a sense of peace and centering and foundation under your feet. You're not a reactive person, and we live in a reactive culture. So people who are not reactive and are led by Jesus stand out they affect change in their environment because they're led by Jesus.
1: And this this same statement that you're saying right now Rick would be true even if we had a man who served the Lord and loved the Lord faithfully as a president. Yes. Our 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 ruler would still be Jesus. And yes. so so whether we have that person or not that person, our kingdom is in heaven. We are not this is not our land and um Our family is not here, and Jesus is the one who rules, and he's the one who needs to be leading, regardless. So
0: so that's a string of wisdom you just said. Our family is not here. So Jesus made it clear, hey, I've adopted you. Not just a normal adoption, my kind of adoption is you get my family's DNA in you. You're of royal blood now, you're part of the kingdom of God, part of my family. This is your true family now. It's easy to forget that, and what causes us to worship is when we recognize, oh, he's offering this to sheep. I'm going from being a sheep to a son. That is some kind of promotion. (laughs) Or I'm going from being a sheep to a daughter. Um, That is some kind of promotion. And Jesus wants us to remember what our true connection is, what our true family is. So Let's talk for, just as we, we close this out, let's talk about what we can do pragmatically to live as discerning people, to live in what in the chapter in my book I call it, Living in the Jesus Pushback. So we are living the Stockdale Paradox, We're we're confronting brutal realities, we're paying attention to them, we're pushing back, we're talking back to them, we're asking, is that really true? Why don't I feel at rest with that? And then we're wallowing in that until we start to get guidance, direction, clarity from Jesus about what the truth is. So first of all, we have to slow down. Um, the discernment doesn't happen on the fly. Discernment happens when you slow down. And part of slowing down is paying attention simply to the fact that your intention. When you hear something that sounds true, and you say inside, is that really true? Is it really true? And then you slow down and consider it. And then you start it starts to emerge well part of it's true but that part right there that's not true what is true so we slow down and when we say what is true we're really that that's a form of prayer we're mm-hmm. simply going to Jesus and asking him show me what's true um, have, does anything pop into your head when you've been in a situation Becky where you've needed to know the truth and what what does that feel like look like internally for you? What is that process that happens when you're trying to discern your way through something? What what is happening in you?
1: I think the first thing is you have to start asking some questions. Like why why is it that they believe this so strongly? And I like I like to look at both sides of the issue. I don't come at I've never come at politics. It's just the way I was raised by my father to That you know, we don't. We look at every issue, and we don't think about it from a party perspective. We think about it uh, from a perspective of what's the best choice. And so, you know, you read about it, you do research about it. You, I read what everyone has to say about it. What do the people who support it? What do they really like about it? What are the people who don't support it? What are they really afraid of? And then I try and find out whether or not those things are true. Um, And then I also just try and say, God give me discernment, because some of the choices that we have to make, the answers aren't that clear, and they no matter how much research you do, they, they just aren't that clear, and so sometimes you have to ask Jesus for help. Um, Jesus, what do you think about this?
0: So going back to our sheep analogy, here, here's Jesus being blunt again. He's, he says, my sheep know me, they hear my voice, and follow me. He's trying to say, hey sheep, pay attention to me understand my voice, know me, because in knowing him, you will then know his voice. So when we talk about the Jesus-centered life, it's really a life that orbits around knowing Jesus more deeply, more intimately, all the time. And after a while, it's not even, it's not a discipline, it's not work, it's not any of those things, it's just gravitational pull. You're pulled in by his beauty, you're pulled in by his attraction, you're pulled in by um how how he relates to you, you're just pulled to him. And the deeper you're pulled to him, the more you know him, and the more you know him, the more you know his voice. And when you know his voice, you can be guided by him. So one thing to do um, to become a more discerning person, if you track back through what I just said, is start by getting to know Jesus better. Just get to know Jesus better. Pay better attention, slow down, ask questions, uh, chew on things, ask why questions and how questions about him, slow down and pay attention. Because as you do, you'll come to know his heart better, and as you do that, you'll get to know his voice better, and you will be better able to be guided by him in these pragmatic situations. I just uh, pulled up CNN uh, just a bit ago, and one of the lead stories on it uh, is titled, The Soul-Crushing 2016 Campaign. (laughs) And I I just, so again, I'm I'm thinking, soul-crushing, what does that mean? What is that saying to me? It's saying that if my soul is tied to the outcome of this campaign, it feels crushed right now. But what if my soul wasn't tied to the outcome of this campaign? What if my soul was tied to the overshadowing presence of Jesus and his artistry in the midst of whatever circumstances, which throughout history have been bad kings, good kings, and everywhere in between, that God's narrative runs through all of it? Not just sometimes when we have good kings, <laughs> mm-hmm. it runs through all of it. So what what we want is to be t- our souls to be tied to him and the story he's telling, because that's not a soul crushing story. That's a story of redemption. So uh, we can take in all the information, yeah, and be smart people mm-hmm. because we're supposed to uh, worship God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we use our mind to take in all our information. But then we do what you said. We ask Jesus, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And listen for his voice, look for his voice that comes sometimes in a variety of ways.
1: So that 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 requires space and time, and right now might be a good time to just shut down social media, because mm. there's a lot of studies right now that are saying that our our culture has become more reactionary than ever, because the messages that we're getting through social media and technology and online... They're so um, they're making us react, um, and that reaction isn't is unhealthy. So, you know, we've got a couple weeks before the election, and now might be a good time to say, "I'm just going to shut this down. I'm going to spend time with the Lord. I'm going to spend time praying. I'm going to sp- spend time doing research and asking questions, um, but creating time and space in your life to do that."
0: So let let me end with this one last pragmatic piece. Um, so this is what I do on a daily basis. At first, it was an experiment, um, but then it quickly became a rhythm, and I can't stop thinking this way now. So the experiment is to pay attention to all the incoming truths, whether it's through an advertisement on TV, a narrative storyline in a TV show you like, a, a, a narrative in a book you're reading, um, what your coworker just told you that is an, uh, he treated as an undeniable truth whatever the truth is that's coming at you from whichever direction, that you become aware that these truths are coming at you, and you ask yourself, is that really true? Is what you're saying true? If that's the first step. You, you become an active engager in, in that thing coming at you. And then the next step is to consider, um, through the guidance of the Spirit of Jesus, to consider what the truth is. Um, Is that really true? Well, what do you say, Jesus? Now that little thing that I just told you happens almost imperceptibly in me all day long. It's just embedded in my soul now, because I started doing this as a practice and as an experiment, and now it's become part like breathing for me. So I'm moving through my day, discerning more about the truths that are coming at me. So, um, and in the end, trusting Jesus and being guided by him is a form of worship it's the sheep saying, I'm dependent on you, Good Shepherd, and there's nothing that delights Jesus more than sheep who trust their Good Shepherd. So, hey, thanks for listening. Remember that you can find out more information about the things we talked about here today in further detail on the JesusCenteredLife.com webpage. You can find our podcast section and look for episode 8 on that page. So, Uh, This is Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, a podcast from Lifetree. Subscribe to us on iTunes for the latest podcasts, and Becky and I will talk to you next time.
1: Bye.